Hi everyone, this is Gustavo from Bitcoin Expat Stories. So today's episode is with Andrew Howard, who's a good friend of mine. He's the Chief Business Development Officer at Bitcoin Reserve, which is an international broker for Bitcoin where you can buy and sell Bitcoin anywhere in the world except the United States and Canada. So in this episode, we talked about Andrew's upbringing, uh, his military background, him moving to Mexico in the beginning of the pandemic to escape uh, the tyranny of the United States and, and the Western world, and uh, how he got into Bitcoin. So Andrew uh, also shares the differences he sees between Mexico and the United States. Uh, and we also talk a lot about politics, the trajectory we see for the upcoming decades in the United States, uh, the different outcomes that we expect Uh, and how Bitcoin plays a role in all of this. So if you like this podcast, please share it so others can enjoy the content too. This is the only way people get to know about this podcast. I don't do any ads or any sponsorship. Uh, this only depends on you, the listener. So I, if you have any suggestions, any feedback, my, my ears are always open. My DMs are always open. So please don't hesitate. Thank you for listening. Enjoy. a podcast myself yeah you get it yeah welcome andrew we're live in queretaro uh, at the podcast room of uh, bitcoin expat stories i'm here with andrew howard welcome andrew how are you i'm doing great yeah dude to be here this uh feels very legit right now in a studio so uh yeah happy you guys are in queretaro and i'm in san miguel de Allende, and we're making stuff happen yeah we're very happy about that you know like uh, it was such a coincidence that you Around the same time we're setting things up here, you moved to San Miguel de Allende, which is so close. So yeah. And now you have your own meetup group, which is perfect. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It's funny. We met, you know, we met in El Salvador and uh, and here we are an hour away in Mexico. Yeah. So Bitcoin world is a, is a small world. Yeah. So for everyone who doesn't know you, can you tell a bit of your story, like uh, just your background story? And then we'll get to Bitcoin Reserve and like what you're doing here in Mexico. Just tell us a bit about yourself. Yeah, so uh, Andrew Howard, uh, I've been living in Mexico as an expat for a little over three years now. Moved here in March of 2020. And I work, uh, well, I was in the Marine Corps. I was active duty in the Marines for a few years. And I got orange-pilled in the Marine Corps, which changed my perspective on things a lot and when was that uh, that was in 2018 okay yeah so that was or excuse me i'm sorry that, that was in 2017 early 2017 right before the big crazy bull run right. that happened so okay. i got out of the marine corps in 2018 okay um and uh, and yeah so now i, I work uh, full-time with bitcoin reserve i'm the chief biz dev officer at bitcoin reserve so we help people all over the world buy any amount of bitcoin from small amounts to large amounts for family offices and you know high net worth individuals and so i get to have a, a lot of really interesting conversations with bitcoiners all over the world which is pretty fun which is the best thing of the job right I wouldn't want to do anything else. It's the best thing ever. It's, it's the best it's, thing. Yeah. I mean, I, I actually wake up in the morning and want to do what I do. So yeah. I'm, I'm so happy about that. I totally understand. 
Yeah. Okay, so you're in the, it's 2017, you're in the Marine Corps, you hear about Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. What do you do with it? Do you, you get into it? Do you just sit, sit on it? What happens? So I remember I was in uh, the Marine Corps barracks at a base called Camp Pendleton, which is in San Diego, California. Okay. And I had been really getting into the libertarian school of thought. My brother, uh, he was also in the military for like 10 years. He was okay. in the Air Force. So I guess that's kind of the military, right? Yeah. Um, my brother had voted for Ron Paul, and he had been, it's, I guess, just sharing libertarian ideas with me. And I, I was just watching tons of YouTube videos and just learning about this whole school of thought. And I came across a guy named Adam Kokesh, who is uh, a Marine okay. Corps veteran. Who are, I don't know if you're familiar with him. No, I'm not at all. Yeah, like, so he's he an famous? Iraq War veteran okay. uh, who became very active in the anti-war movement afterwards. Okay. And he was talking about Bitcoin. Wow. <clears throat> so I heard him <clears throat> talking about this, and I had no idea what that was. And I heard about it, and I just looked it up online, and literally within the next few days, I was just like, "All right, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna buy some. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> Why you know? not?" So, so yeah, that's uh, that's kind of how I got orange pilled. I was a libertarian before, and then got orange pilled. And uh, the funny thing I I also tell people is that during that time, because it was the bull run, so everybody was really, everybody was talking about Bitcoin. Uh, and about 25% of my platoon in the Marine Corps at the time owned Bitcoin I as am. well. That's high. Yeah. So. But they didn't keep it. Like 2018 came around. Were, were they like Bitcoiners or were they just? No, they were just trying to make, make yeah, money. Exactly. Basically. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so the angle was a military angle, like a libertarian military angle. If I understand correctly, it was like like the Ron Paul years. People were like tired of the useless wars. They wanted some change. And that's how you got into the libertarian perspective through your brother, through through other officers in the, in the Marines, and then you you got into Bitcoin through that. Uh, essentially, yes. I now I, I I also was very fortunate to have a father who has been pretty libertarian leaning, okay. and was also a, has been a business owner for the past fifty years. So naturally, generally speaking, when you own a business, you get screwed over by the government. Oh, of course, any of other course. Naturally, you become libertarian. Yeah. So, you know, I grew up hearing my dad, and but like you really don't <clears throat> care about these thoughts until you process them on your own. So, and, and especially being in the military, too, you really see how inefficient the government is at <laughs> literally everything. Yeah. <laughs> so... Like f wasting money or just everything? Wasting tons of money, wasting tons of time. There's a saying you have in the military. It's called hurry up and wait. And y you're just doing nothing for so much of the time. And um, and you think about the Marine Corps too. The Marine Corps is, was was said to be you know the best fighting force in the world and all yeah. this stuff. But there's just some running jokes we have about you know your first job is a janitor and your second job is a Marine. <laughs> And so, you know, naturally you're going to see a lot of inefficiencies. A lot of guys like myself get out of the military and are very jaded. They come in very motivated and they come mm -hmm. out very jaded and not so motivated right. anymore. So, Okay. And, uh, and what happened next? So you got Bitcoin. You're finishing up the, the Marines. Uh, do you start working on Bitcoin? Do you do your uh, something else in the military? Mm -hmm. what? 
Like what happens next? What? Well, basically what I'm trying to understand is how do you get to Bitcoin Reserve? Is that then? Is that later? It was a bit later. Yeah, it was a bit later. So I got out of the military. I was uh, actually obsessed with, I used to be kind of a stupid, crazy young man. So I, <laughs> I used to be obsessed with mixed martial arts. Okay. And I had been doing jujitsu since I was like 15. And I still do it now. So um, yeah, was training a lot in MMA the last year of me being in the Marine Corps. I had two, uh, two fights, two MMA fights uh, during that time. And was training in San Diego with a lot of very hardcore people in <laughs> MMA. San Diego is a big hub. Oh, uh, yeah, it's a big hub. For the fighting scene. So, um, yeah, I was just really obsessed with that. I loved the adrenaline rush that, uh, that it gave me. And I moved to uh, Phoenix, Arizona. Okay. Uh, to just pursue fighting as much as I possibly could. Okay, I, you thought, like, that was going to be your... Your life's mission. That was my goal at the time. Okay, that was, was just literally, you know, make enough money to sustain fighting and mm-hmm. see how far I can go. Right. And uh, when I was there, I started having these, I, I guess, these thoughts of rationality in my mind. Like, uh, you know, I've been in the Marine Corps, was a recon Marine, and then I'm doing this MMA thing. And I was just thinking, you know, why don't, uh, why don't I just try and have more of a peaceful life <laughs> and and just try and make some more money and yeah like why do i really need all this and um seeing so many people that had had been doing the same thing there were a lot of brain injuries as well which i didn't want to deal with because i had my grandmother uh had alzheimer's the last year of her life mm-hmm. and she died when i was in boot camp and it was just a whole thing that my ha- family had to deal with and right. so just the idea of uh, having a permanent brain injury for a short-term thing in my life, uh, I, I just felt there were better ways. So anyways, uh, long story short, was in Arizona, Phoenix for a bit, and then I moved back to Los Angeles, where I'm from, and um, just lived life for a bit. I, I actually sold gold for about six months. You sold gold? I sold gold. Like you were a gold broker? I was a gold broker. <laughs> nice. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, um, and that was that was okay, you know. I mean, I, I actually believed in what I was doing because yeah, sure. sound money and all that good stuff, and could talk about libertarian ideas for. Yeah, I'm sure. Like day. the customers are libertarian, so it, it's interesting people. Not not always, but at least right. It the, can be an interesting perspective. Right? You have to recognize current flaws right, with exactly. the financial system to want to buy gold. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so I uh, did that for a little bit, and uh, frankly, there was some dishonesty in that company, which okay. I did not want to be a part of, so I left. Right. And then I just <laughs> picked up a very uh, boring corporate job for a huge multinational corporation uh, yeah? in Los Angeles. You, you went through that? I did. I did go through that. Um it was, it was a good experience. I'm very thankful to the, the people that I worked for. And, uh, you know, and I, I had some good times and I, I got a good experience. Yeah. Um, got promoted within six months, you know, really tried to like just grind every day as much as possible. Yeah. But uh, that was obviously not a long term thing that I wanted to do. <clears throat> so come uh, here we are, March of 2020. I had been working at this job for about a year. And this COVID thing starts popping up. Um, 
And, you know, there, there have been other scams in the past, other stairs in the past. Yeah. Like the swine flu, Ebola, all these. Yeah, there's other, been so many. Yeah. yeah. But something just kind of felt different about COVID. <laughs> I don't know if you felt the same way. But yeah, I felt the same way. Yeah, and they had, and uh, before lockdowns happened in the U.S., they were talking about Italy being totally locked down. Yeah, I remember down. that. Yeah, and I just had this gut feeling like, I don't know, something feels different here. This is weird. Yeah, this is weird, and, <laughs> and us crazy conspiracy theorists, libertarian types, had been expecting some sort of crash <laughs> for a long time, right? Yeah, for sure. So, um, uh, yeah, so when that happened, I, I just had this gut feeling. And I, March of 2020, we all started working remotely as well for this okay. big corporation. For your corporate job. Yeah, so I had nothing tying me down. And at that point, I just threw everything in my, my car, small little sedan. And uh, I was living in a small room in L.A. at the time, paying $600 a month for a room literally this size. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> classic, classic story. Right, yeah. So, so I threw everything in my car, and uh, I drove 2,000 miles down to San Miguel de Allende from Los oh, yeah. Angeles. And why San Miguel de Allende? Like, why Mexico? Why? Why San Miguel? Well, I, I actually had a family member uh, okay. living in San Miguel at the time. Okay. And so I had visited uh, my family um, two weeks before I made the move over. So the timing was very, very convenient. I had been living in San Miguel for two weeks just visiting and I got kind of a taste of what it's like. Right. Saw how cheap everything was. <laughs> and um, I had been thinking this time, like, you know, do I really want to be in Los Angeles during <laughs> this whole thing? Yeah, Who yeah. knows what's going to happen? So, uh, yeah, that's that's why San Miguel. Uh, well, you did good, man, because Los Angeles was one of the worst places. One of the worst. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, horrible. One of the worst. Uh, I'm very happy I was not. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Okay, but you're still not a Bitcoiner. Like, you're, or are you ready? Uh, At that point, I it depends on how you classify Bitcoin. Right, I've, I've owned Bitcoin since 2017, <clears throat> so I've got I've got it since 2017. But uh, at in 2020 was when I started to become a maxi. Right, I really started to understand. Okay, this crypto thing is is a bunch of buzzwords with a bunch of probably about 98% of those people are scammers using complex words that nobody understands so they sound smart and For people sure. trust them literally the same thing that central bankers do by the way <laughs> basically the same yeah um, okay yeah. and then but 2020 moving to Mexico so you moved to Mexico before being a Mexi uh, it was around the same time it was around basically. the same time so yeah. like your life changed then you drop your corporate job or yeah. were you still working remote? I was still job? working remotely. Okay. Yeah, I, which was kind of a chance because I didn't know how long we were going to be working right. remotely for. Um, <clears throat> but uh, hey, you know, I mean, you're young and you have to take risks or else. For sure. Yeah, that's what you got to do. Okay, so. cool, cool. Yeah. Wow, a lot happened during those years. A lot happened. Wow. Okay, and that was 2020. And then, so you moved to San Miguel and like how, how do you feel about it? Like how... How, what's your first impression uh, over the first year or so? Like, uh, yeah. what, what happens then? Uh, so, for starters, I think when people first move to Mexico or probably any any country outside of the U.S. that's appealing, uh, you have kind of this high. You got the honeymoon phase. <laughs> you have the honeymoon phase. Yeah, yeah. You're totally. like, oh my god, this is so great. Everything's so, so cheap. cheap. Yeah, yeah. And um, <clears throat> so I had that. <clears throat> for sure, me. had that for sure. 
Um, and it's an absolutely beautiful town. For anybody that hasn't been to San Miguel, um, it's it's like you're living in a storybook. I mean, it's, it's gorgeous. Yeah, it's absolutely gorgeous. There's art everywhere. There's art on the walls. You got these churches that are huge and beautiful that are 500 years old. And everybody's an artist. Like yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And a lot of friendly people. A lot of expats. Yeah. A lot of interesting people. Um, so so yeah, that was uh that was the appeal of San Miguel. Okay, okay. And then did you stay in San Miguel? Did you move? Uh, I know you moved for a bit, so like how how did that happen? Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Well, I so I stayed in San Miguel for about a year. <clears throat> um, and then I would say when did this happen? April, May, June. So three months after San Miguel, I actually switched jobs into the Bitcoin space. Uh, which I don't know if maybe we could talk about that too, actually. Yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah. So <laughs> it, it's pretty crazy because I had a friend, his name was Nathan Freeman. Okay. Okay. Which is a fantastic last name if you're a libertarian, by the way. Yeah. Freeman. Yeah. Uh, Freeman. Yeah. Uh, Freeman. Okay. Freeman. Yeah. I mean, and he, I mean, literally. Yeah. Literally <laughs> free man. Yeah. <laughs> so he was very uh, active with Anarchapolco. If you're okay, yeah, I, yeah. I know. So, Anarchopolco is a big anarcho capitalist conference that's been going on in Mexico for I think about, I don't know, seven years, 10 years, something like that. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, so I met Nathan, met his wife and his kids, and just awesome people. And uh, he was having a bunch of friends over just visiting and having kind of a, you know, get together with all the Anarchopolco people. <clears throat> so, So it's funny because a lot of the people that I had been watching on YouTube for years, I met in person yeah. through Nathan, <laughs> which is crazy. It's crazy. And um, and I I happened to meet Katie, Katie the Russian. Katie the Russian, okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> in Acapulco. Who, uh, in San Miguel de Allende. In San Miguel, okay. Yeah. So she was she was visiting as well. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, so I met Katie, and if anybody doesn't know, Katie has a company called Plan B Passport. They help. Expats get passports, second passports. It's a good company. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, got a bug in my throat. Anyways, no so met Katie, told her just basically, you know, I'm I'm working for this big corporation. I would love to work in the Bitcoin space. Yeah. <laughs> And um, yeah, I, I was I basically just said that. And uh, Katie's such an awesome person, you know. She's the kind of person who will uh, just try and help you out. Um, and just, yeah, she's a great person. So she posted on Twitter and said, hey, I have a friend who's nice. a Marine Corps veteran turned anarcho-capitalist. And he's looking, <clears throat> he's looking to work in the Bitcoin space. Is anybody hiring? And within, literally within 30 minutes of that tweet... Uh, Yuri Daigaya, he was the co-founder of Bitcoin Reserve, sent her a message and said, yeah, we're actually looking to hire somebody right now. And so I get introduced to Yuri, and uh, Yuri and I talk, and I had like four different interviews over a month long to get hired at sure. Bitcoin Reserve. And uh, and yeah, it happened. So for it's... it's, it's uh, There's absolutely some element of luck in there, <laughs> to be honest. Which, like a lot yeah. of people want to work in Bitcoin, and it's you want to work and do something you you love. But um, 
I guess just a combination of me taking that chance, meeting the right people, being able to prove that. Taking the opportunities. Taking the opportunities. It's yeah. about that. So. Yeah. And just proof of work, right? Like I've been grinding since 18 years old. I haven't taken a dime from the government or my parents or anybody. I've been, you know, working. Yeah, for sure. Since then. So, uh, and yeah, things have been doing great uh, since then. Bitcoin Reserve is, is uh, you know, love everybody I worked with. Love the fact that I can live anywhere I want in the world <laughs> and sell people Bitcoin. So. Yeah, that was kind of the okay. Same okay, deal. the story to Bitcoin Reserve. Yeah, you got how? Like, what was your job when you got in? Uh, so same same title I have now, which is Chief Business Development. Okay, officer. you got in as Chief Business Dev Officer. Yeah, nice. Yeah, cool. so and I was the first employee at the time. Okay, you were the first employee. Yeah, so we were like really, really startup mode at the time. <laughs> yeah, For sure. So um, yeah, so yeah, pretty pretty awesome experience. Was twenty two year old kid, you know, just trying to get my foot in the door, and yeah, I've had a lot of awesome experiences and several different countries with with bitcoin at this point so. I, i had no idea about this yeah cool so uh so it's been two three years you were working at bitcoin reserve mm -hmm. uh and like uh so tell, maybe tell a bit about what bitcoin reserve does how can they help people <laughs> so people know yeah so uh we are a bitcoin only brokerage that has worldwide service Uh, with the exception of the United States and Canada, because we don't want to deal <laughs> with OFAC laws. Yeah, same reason Bitfinex doesn't serve the U.S. and Canada now as well, right. I believe. But uh, yeah, so Bitcoin-only brokerage, we help people buy and sell. Obviously, we encourage just buying and hodling uh, any amount of Bitcoin. And uh, so, yeah, just a few differences, like... Oftentimes, people buy Bitcoin through Coinbase or Kraken or these big exchanges, and that's fine. But there are also thousands of other altcoins that are being sold there. It's very confusing. And usually you're just doing the entire process on your own. So if you put yourself in the shoes of a high net worth individual or yeah. somebody, somebody getting into Bitcoin that is not experienced with this at all, it can be very intimidating. It's like, how do I set up a wallet? How do I, what even is Bitcoin? Like, What do I do here? Um, so we guide people through that entire process and hold their hand and help them set up a wallet, have a multi-sig wallet. That we help them through that entire complex. Yeah, like thing. a turnkey solution, like a full-on concierge service. Yes, exactly. Okay. Yeah. So there's that, and then uh, we also have uh, corporate clients as well. So I've, we've have a bunch of companies that uh, have cash on their balance sheet right. and they want to have maybe as little as 3% of that in Bitcoin just for the long term for the company surviving and yep. not dealing with this inflation. So we help with that as well. So yeah, that's what we do. Okay, so very focused on the customer, a lot of attention, not just like, hey, like uh, online customer support, like they can call you. You can help out people in any way they want. Uh, yes, I mean, with the exception of that is for our high net worth right, offering. Right. right. If somebody's buying ten dollars Bitcoin, we can't spend two hours. <laughs> no, on the for phone. sure, for sure. Yeah, but but uh, I, that's your focus: high net worth individuals, right? Yes, that's your main target market. Correct. People can buy under that, but that's what is the best experience you can provide. And okay, that's cool. And this is anywhere in the world: Europe, Latin America, Asia. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. We've got uh, tons of clients in Latin America. We've got uh, clients in the Asia Pacific region. Got clients in the Middle East as well, which is very interesting. Yeah, um, very interesting. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, all over the place. And again, it's so fascinating, you know, because uh, I'm not bullish on Bitcoin just because I'm hopeful or anything like that. I because yeah. I just because I want this to succeed. But uh, talking with big family offices and wealthy people who are successful and intelligent who are deciding to put large amounts of money into Bitcoin is it's like very encouraging from a firsthand experience. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sure. Well, I actually know a bit of that because when we were running Verify, we had an exchange too, and it was actually very similar, but it was only Canada. Mm-hmm. That doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. But yeah, you get the, the first touch basis with someone of like their, their perspective of a high net worth individual, the questions they have, the reason why they're buying Bitcoin. And it's, it's very interesting, very different from what we hear on Twitter. Like it's just very, very distinct. Yeah. Very cool. Absolutely. So anybody in Europe, Latin America, Asia, anywhere in the world except Bitcoin, except the U.S. and Canada, and except like off fact banned countries like yeah, like we can't North help Korea. North Koreans buy Bitcoin, yeah, exactly. unfortunately. Yeah. But everyone else, everyone is a normal country, mm-hmm. can call you. Okay, everyone, uh, keep that in mind. As little as ten thousand dollars, preferably. Well, it can be lower than that, but. That's Preferably that's generally 10, where our high net worth service starts. If somebody wants to buy a hundred dollars, hundred euro, hundred pounds worth of Bitcoin with us, they can do that too. Okay, cool, yeah. awesome. That's uh, BitcoinReserve.com, right? Yes, sir. Okay, awesome. Well, anybody listening, you can also send me a message, and I'll refer you to Andrew for that. Okay, cool. So uh, let's talk about a bit about your life in Mexico. So, like. What do you like about living in Mexico? Why don't you like... I know at some point there was some bit of a Twitter talk. Mm-hmm. You, you, you did a Twitter space talking about things you didn't like. So talk to me about that. Yeah. So <clears throat> I'll start off with the, with the positives. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Mexico is extremely affordable for somebody who can work online. So to give an example, like I mentioned, I literally speaking for the size of this small room was spending $600 a month in LA for that. Yeah. In Mexico, I spend $650 per month and I have a three-story, three-bedroom uh excuse me, three-story, three-bathroom, two-bedroom house <laughs> in a safe area with a roof. Probably even safer, right? Like yeah. LA is not safe. No, it's not <laughs> safe. Uh yeah, for the same price. And, and so the quality of life is just not comparable at all. Not at all. Yeah. Um, what else? Uh, there is a very good culture in Mexico. In America, I think, unfortunately, one thing we are losing yeah. is a solidified culture. With If, if everybody's living in the same area, you got to have people on the same page about things. you got to have. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, it's that's a great thing about Mexico is is uh, you have in general a pretty solidified culture it's a very Catholic country and and uh, and I I, uh, I appreciate that it's very conservative you have uh, family values it's it's that's very important to the Mexican people and I, I absolutely love that and I think we've forgotten about that a lot in the West a lot yeah um, 
So what else? It's it's just a beautiful country as well. That's so beautiful. It it really is. Um, like my God, man, some some of the the hikes and a lot of cool stuff here. Um, what else is good about Mexico? Uh, meeting expats is also a lot of fun too, because everybody's got their own interesting, crazy, unique story for sure <laughs> like you got a very interesting story yeah well i mean so do you guys like yeah. you gotta have uh some cojones to just pack <laughs> everything up and of move to latin do. america of course yeah so uh i would say those are are some of the main things that i like about mexico okay. yeah and now the negatives Okay, so here we go. Um, <laughs> I feel negatives. like you got a lot of you got a lot to show. You. I don't have a lot of negatives, <laughs> and I, I don't mean any disrespect to Mexicans or their culture or anything like that. This is just for whatever this is right. worth for somebody considering to move to Mexico. Just take this with a grain of salt. This of is my, my two satoshis. <laughs> um, so uh, I am from the United States. Okay. Uh, the United States, this is just my perspective. I'm not from Canada, Europe, whatever. But as an American, I grew up uh, valuing the Constitution, valuing freedom, yeah. understanding that the founding of America was based off of saying, I'm not going to do what you tell me, and I'm going to live free. So exactly. that's, that's a very core part of being an American. And, uh, and that's an amazing thing about America, even despite the problems that America is having. Uh, and this is not just Mexico. This is, I would say, the majority, the overwhelming majority of the world yeah. does not have this communal reverence to the idea of freedom. Which is very important. <laughs> okay, so I, I was pretty disappointed during... COVID, seeing the level of compliance. Another big reason I moved down here was I would think that I, I would have thought, right, I did think that um, Mexicans would not get so stammed with this COVID thing because there's already such a huge level of distrust in the government. Yeah. Uh, everybody knows the government in Mexico is corrupt and nobody trusts the government. <laughs> okay. <laughs> And uh, so I thought that would be an advantage, um, but uh, yeah, there unfortunately there is a lot of compliance. Um, I've had friends who've traveled the world, and they've told me that Mexico is one of the most masked countries. It is extremely masked. Yeah, very masked. I, I've seen that too. Yeah. Um, now I should say this too. It's also, I, I think, one of the reasons for that is Mexicans want to, from what I've seen, it's it's like you want to be polite with other people that's a way of showing that you're not an asshole basically yeah. you, you know you wear a mask but um yeah there was just a lot of compliance with the covid thing it's also uh i forget what the vaccination rate is in mexico i want to say it's over 70 percent it's about the same as the u.s mm, okay very well i would be skeptical of those numbers though because uh, I don't know. I, but I, I would be skeptical of those numbers in Mexico too, because yeah. like, you can you can buy a, a fake vaccine here way easier than in the U.S. Yeah, I'm not saying <laughs> you know you, you should you should obey every law that the government has. Okay, so for anybody listening, but uh, yeah, that's <laughs> sure good. Um, uh, so yeah, that's that's one thing. Compliance. The other thing is. Uh, there are absolutely well. You and I have differed on this a bit, <laughs> but the, the gun rights in Mexico. I don't know we don't differ that much. 
Yeah, I, I just it's very restrictive in Mexico having a gun, and it's you know th- there is so much fud in the U.S. media of like right. well, Mexico is so dangerous, but it is more dangerous than the United States, in my opinion. It, it, well, it depends where, and it depends, and the trends are varying, man. But if you're doing a cross country, trip, <laughs> yeah. okay, if you're doing a yeah. cross country trip in Mexico, you got to be like, all right, I'm only taking the toll roads for sure. I have to plan out my route. Like I cannot drive certain areas at night. Yeah, yeah. So, but, uh, yeah, I mean, that's the culture is, is, uh, most people think guns are bad and Americans are crazy because they like guns and they see the news constantly portraying these school shootings, which, uh, I don't know. That's, I have a whole opinion on that in general, but, uh, anyways, so naturally the gun, the gun, gun rights in Mexico, that's basically the. Yeah, the biggest con. Yeah, and yeah. I and it, the interesting thing too is we, we were talking about this the other day is some parts of Mexico have gun culture. Yeah, they do because they they don't want to deal with the cartels' bullshit. Well, because it also it it was rural uh, for all of their history, so rural parts of the country have always had a gun culture. Also, there's a lot of southern U.S. influence in northern Mexico. So there's gun culture there because of that. Yeah. I, I, there's a couple of, and also like in, in parts of the country like Michoacan, there's auto defense groups. There's mm-hmm. literally towns that are creating their forming their own citizen paramilitary groups to defend themselves against the cartels. Dude, so, it's awesome. Yeah. I mean like I mentioned, we my wife and I went to really windy outside. Went very huh? windy, what the hell? Are we good <laughs> with the audio here? Yeah, we're good. We're this good. It's crazy. I almost want to see what's happening outside. Yeah. I, I, I don't think it's gonna last, but yeah, it's, I've never heard this. That's strong. Um, oh, yeah, Michoacan. Yeah, so uh, we actually went up to uh, Chiron, Mexico. Maybe we okay. should talk about that. Uh, sorry, which one? Chiron. Uh, I don't you know. You with Chiron? No. Chiron is a town of 36,000 people. Okay. And 10 years ago, they kicked out all of the government. Uh, yeah. Where, where's that? <laughs> uh, it's like deep in the mountains in Michoacan. It's in Michoacan, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so so basically, um, do you know who Derek Bros is, by chance? Uh, I, that rings a bell. Okay, like, he, he's a friend of mine. He's okay. like a, been a big journalist in the alternative media space. Okay. Big expat here. And, uh, anyways, he got us in. You have to know people to get into Chiron. The sound, okay. Yeah, and so pretty much what happened was 10 years ago, uh, the people there were getting so screwed over by the cartel and yeah. by the government because they're basically the same thing. In they're the, the same thing. Yeah. Um, and uh, I guess something happened where some woman got assaulted by a cartel member or something. Okay. And and none of this was planned. Like the the revolution in that city in that town was not planned at all. Okay, okay. it's just some woman got assaulted. Bunch of guys got really pissed off, and within that day, they picked up any form of weaponry as possible and <laughs> kicked everyone out. They kicked the cartel, the national guard, the police. They hung their wow. mayor in the town square. They hung the mayor. They hung their mayor in the town square. Because he was obviously corrupt and working with the yeah. cartel, yeah. Yeah. But it's, it's just crazy. You think, crazy. like, if there's so much that, pe- that, that the masses can do if everybody's just pissed off and, like, unrelenting. <laughs> yeah, for sure. You know? So, but, uh, yeah, so 10 years later, wow. you know, we, we went and visited, and it was absolutely safe. And 
and uh, beautiful part of Mexico. Uh, you know, little kids are running around just playing in the street, and and people are selling their selling their stuff on on you know yeah. out, out in these shops. And uh, God, it, it was a it was a great experience. So wow, yeah, that's crazy. That I've never heard of that. Yeah, is that far from here? I'd say it's about f- four hours from here. Four hours. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, Michoacan has a lot of that. It just has a lot of culture of fighting back. You know, arming. So. It's uh, my conclusion is that it just varies so much in Mexico. There's no like unifying philosophy for the whole country like there is in the U.S. You know, and like maybe sometimes we'll have that, or maybe we'll come to that. The the reality just comes to that they don't have a choice but to themselves themselves and arm Mm -hmm. themselves. But you're right. There's just no unifying philosophy about gun rights, about freedom in the country. Yeah. Well. Yeah, that is true. I mean, I, I would say Catholicism is probably like the main unifying philosophy. Right, right. For but sure. uh, yeah, like if if you go to Michoacan or you go to a rural area, people will have guns in Mexico. Yeah. But if you're in Querétaro, people are like, "Oh my God, guns are so bad!" You yeah, know? everybody in Querétaro is super, super cut. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's true. because they're the good Mexicans, like they're the the upper class Mexicans, the educated ones. So they want to defer from the poor ones. So they're like, no, we don't use guns. It's only like Michoacan uneducated people that use guns. You know? Right. Or like crazy Americans. Yeah. We're the, we're the European type of people. You know mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I know exactly what you're talking <laughs> yeah, about. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. It's weird because the, the conservatives in Mexico are like very like good citizens. It's like they're, very weird. They are productive people, which is great. You know, they're Catholic. Yeah, they're very good. Uh, but like, yeah, there's like a weird thing with the conservatives in Mexico. They all got totally stammed by the COVID thing. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's really weird. And then the other side in Mexico, the non-conservative side, like is, was less likely to get vaxxed. And Of course. Yeah. Well, I, I've been to very small towns, very left-wing poor towns. And I've seen basically absence of masks at peak COVID. Yeah. But like if when these people go to work for the upper class boss, then they'll put on the mask. Then they'll behave like we behave in Canada. But when they're in their little towns between themselves, and they're all very left wing, by the way. Well, like left wing, because politics is just so different across the the world, right? Like I come from Peru and Mexico. Uh, Like traditionally, it's only been right wing governments. Mexico is a bit different because it had like a left-wing revolution 100 years ago. Mm-hmm. But traditionally, it's only been over the last 20, 30 years, only been like right-wing neoliberal governments, very aligned with the neoliberal agenda of mostly the Democrat Party, but also Republican mm-hmm. previously. And like the, the left-wing is actually anti-neoliberal, which is what like the Trump movement represents in a way, which is the right-wing in America. Right. And so it's, it's all very like mixed up and, and very different than in, in the U.S. And, and in other countries, right? But, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty complex, this whole political thing. Yeah. For sure, in Mexico. Yeah, it's a fascinating beast, the way politics function in <laughs> Mexico, because it's nothing like what we would ever see it's in America nothing, or Canada. Nothing. Absolutely, absolutely not. I don't even grasp, grasp it, to be honest. Yeah. It's just so... Uh, okay, cool. So would you... But is your goal ultimately to go back to the U.S.? Ah, that's that's such a difficult question because it's a good question. It's it's um, first of all, it's very tough being in Mexico and having a relatively nice life uh, here 
really nice life and seeing my country totally blatantly collapse yeah like i see what you're saying yeah. yeah it's 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 tough to be like on a mexican beach drinking a martini and then watching the news in the u.s watching twitter yeah yeah um that being said i do believe that well first of all if everybody did what we do i think that would be bad for sure because you need to have people somewhere who can't leave and because they can't leave they are forced to stay there and fight basically fight back, for yeah. their ideals and uh you're also going to have people who uh who can leave and and choose to have a family in a safe area uh and that's basically how america was founded <laughs> right like america yeah. was founded by european foreigners who just wanted to have a better life so you could almost say that what we're doing right now is american in a way in a way um so there's that uh i personally believe that there there is a very deliberate and powerful intention to destroy the west very probably yeah and that will probably succeed regardless of me being there yeah i, I think so too yeah in the end i i value more like my individual life than my patriotic uh you know sentiment and and i i gotta be honest i'm not that patriotic but but patriotic compared to you like uh, in canada there's very little patriotism you know like almost no canadian cares about canada it's very different in the u.s uh so i got that in me and i wasn't even born in canada i'm proving to but i i of course i i got all my family there all my friends there of course i care about them right yeah but i just see it as a at least for canada i just see it as a way as, as a completely failed mission like there's yeah. no hope I, i think there's hope in the u.s i always think there's more hope in the u.s than there is in canada Uh, and in Europe, but it's 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 all every day. It's less and less hopeful. Yeah, I guess I guess we'll see. But uh, it's hard for me to say, man. I, I I think that there is hope in the United States, and the fact that you have more guns than people there is yeah, yeah for sure a big deal. And uh, I don't know. It's it's such a tough thing to say. Um, yeah, I I've, I've got a I don't know if this has to do with being in the military or what, but like I I've got a pretty dark mind sometimes. <laughs> and you know, there's a saying in the, in the military: uh, hope for the best, plan for the worst. And if I was right. planning for the worst, I would plan that the United States is going to lose reserve currency status, and there are going to be supply chain issues with food and. Like I said, I, I just personally think there's a very intentional goal to destroy the West. But so, what do you mean by that? Like, do you mean like uh, like all other global superpowers like China and Russia, or do you mean like uh, like WEF types that want to just enslave people? Uh, what what's what, can, what do you think about that exactly? I'd rather not say, to be honest. Okay, I'm sorry. It's too dark. <laughs> yeah, it's um. We'll just leave it at that. Okay. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah. Well, I, I, I think it's a mix of all. I think, honestly, I'm a very, I would say, historically deterministic type of guy where I think history repeats itself. It's very linked to cause and effects. So I just think we're in a very similar moment as we were in the 
1929, you know, where like there's just an opportunity for it's well, it's just not clear anymore who's the boss. You know, it's mm-hmm. just not clear anymore that the U.S. can lead the world by itself. Uh, and so it's obvious, incentive-wise, other countries have to compete because maybe they win and maybe they control. And maybe the new Bretton Woods agreements is they're the ones leading. Maybe it's China. So, so I just think we're at this point at the crossroad of global competition to see who's going to lead the future. And I think there's many actors over there, either other countries or either people from our countries mm-hmm. that are taking their bets so that they can win over time. You know, a hundred percent agree. Uh, if and the reality is that the U.S. so. <laughs> First of all, the U.S. used to make a bunch of stuff. Used to be a big producer. It doesn't produce anything now anymore, yeah. basically. It has a lot of agricultural produce that Mexico and the U.S. and Canada have agreements with. And Okay, right. there's something there. but uh, And tech as well, but Israel's got a lot of tech as well. And it's, you know. Um, but the U.S. really doesn't have much of a global stance on producing things. So if you have a country that's not really making things, that's a big yeah. issue. Uh, and then uh, so plus the the uh, the other hand is is the dollar being the world's reserve currency for the last so since 1940, so the last 80 years, right? Yeah, 80 yeah, 40, years. 40, yeah, 40, since 1944. Yeah. Yeah. So and that's. Uh, y- Largely, if not all, because of the U.S. military's power. Yeah. And I can tell you right now, the U.S. military is. Uh, I we we've we've been we've decimated ourselves in these bullshit, pointless wars that were waged off of false pretenses, and we have just gotten ourselves in so much debt. We lost. Basically, at every venture we we had for the last twenty years in the Middle East, we've made a fool of ourselves, and other countries are Believe seeing me. that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, um, if you just take the ingredients of a collapsing society, you write them down on on a list. I would say the U.S. has every single one. I, I agree. I, I actually agree. And yeah. you know, a lot of my American friends don't don't like when I talk about this <laughs> because they're like, when you and like a lot of my Canadian friends, I I think when you're living there, it it's just it's hard to accept this because you're living there. You know, when you leave, you can kind of detach yourself from it a little bit more. And that's what I think you and I have done. Uh, but yeah, I, I tend to agree and we'll see. I, I the, the main arguments remain like the U.S. still has a business culture that is different from the rest of the world. And that I understand and that I, I think has, has hope. Uh, I think culture... There remains like 30 to 40 percent of the at least 100 million Americans, maybe 80 that still believe in freedom, still will fight for it. So I think there's that, too. Uh, but it's it's very weird. I think the culture has I just think the fact that you become a, the global empire, you become the world reserve status. These things are kind of like consequences that you cannot really stop, like because you give a, and, and Ray Dalio goes into it. And I know Ray Dalio is kind of has some bad takes as well. A lot, but like I think a good take he has is like the the cyclical change of of global power and how many empires have come up and fallen, and the U.S. is kind of sharing the same characteristics as as others have in the past. Yeah, right. You you've seen that? Uh yeah. His his uh, what does he call it? His long uh, a certain name for his yeah, like uh, principles for the changing world order. Yes. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think it makes perfect sense. And, you know, before us, it was uh, England that had the pound as the world's reserve currency. And then it was, uh, what was it before England? It was, I think, the Netherlands and then Spain before that. And, yeah, it's time. I mean, (laughs) clearly, like, and frankly, to be honest, I don't want a government which is promoting drag queen story hour and bullshit wars in the Middle East to have global dominance. Of course. And I like, hate to say that, but like, and, and most Americans absolutely hate that and disagree with of it. Of course. But the government itself, that should not be sustained. Yeah. Well, and you know, this is, I think this is the perfect argument for world leaders against the U.S. to make, to, to create an alliance against the U.S. Like, you think the Saudis and even the, the, the Chinese, Chinese society is more conservative mm-hmm. on, on th- than this, you know? Yeah. Like, they would never promote. Uh, this stuff in their country like no. they know better right no way. russia the, the arab countries of course like they're very conservative they know that this doesn't work mm-hmm. <laughs> of course who doesn't yeah you think the country <laughs> that just let women drive is going to be wanting using you know the the currency of a country with drag queen story hour no they they know <laughs> that according to their theology and their history that when an empire does this it's 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 bound to fail like they they if you follow first principles and they do from their perspective, right, a different religious perspective, but they know this doesn't work. So, like, why would we? Why would Saudi Arabia keep on partnering with, with the U.S.? Like, it's it's bound to fail. Like, it, yeah. if we if Saudi remains by the U.S. side, they're they're gonna fall too, right? So, better find another way. Yeah. Were you always interested in this, or did Bitcoin really change your perspective on uh, on things? Ah, uh, that's a good question. Uh, I've always questioned authority. And mm-hmm. like I said, I grew up with my dad. Like I grew up hearing my dad always complain about how inefficient government is and how lazy right. government employees are and all that stuff. So, uh, yeah, I think I've kind of always like questioned authority a lot. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. What about you? I'm curious. Um, honestly, I, I've had so many different phases, man, but. I think it was always like my dad always asked questions and but he did it from a left-wing perspective because mm. actually in Latin America in Peru in Mexico the the left-wing is the one question asking questions hmm. it's it's very different than in the US like uh, the right represents the institutions and the left represents the change uh, the right represents the neoliberal agreements with the US and the left is like hey why are we letting other countries just steal our wealth like mm-hmm. you know so uh so and and that's why i think left right doesn't really matter at the end of the day when you look at it from an international perspective yeah. so my dad was always asking questions i i guess but i was oh at, at first i was left wing i thought it was left wing but then i just realized no i'm definitely not left wing you're just a libertarian uh, yeah exactly uh so yeah i guess yeah i was always asking questions hmm. Yeah, but then uh, Bitcoin definitely took that to another level, of course, right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely, man. I mean, it's, uh, yeah, that uh, once you realize that the form of money everybody is carrying around in their pocket every day and working so hard for is is objectively corrupt and wrong, that changes a lot of course. with your worldview. Of course, of course. Uh, are you okay maybe changing a bit topics uh like are you interested in other parts of the world have you traveled other places or it was always the u.s and mexico uh so i have been to uh, i've been to el salvador twice mexico obviously uh i've been to uh latvia i've been to montenegro great country uh and 
yeah, that's it. I really have not traveled to <clears throat> to a whole lot of countries. Uh, that's that's my list. But that's all like exclusively based countries, right? Uh, I don't know how based Latvia is. I just oh, yeah? went there for the Baltic Honey Badger Bitcoin Conference, which okay. was awesome. And uh, yeah, but like Montenegro, we had a work meet up there, okay. which was so cool. <laughs> <laughs> Montenegro is a great. Okay, so to answer your question, like on on other countries, what my perspective is. Um, frankly, if I was a Bitcoiner, I would, I would, and my wife wasn't from Mexico. Okay. I would move to El Salvador. Oh yeah? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. It's way safer and it's way. Way safer. Oh yeah. Yeah. Of 100%. Course. I mean, I've you, definitely you would, noticed that too. Yeah, man. I mean, it's the, it's, 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 it's crazy what the government there has done to, uh, clean up the country and and even as somebody from los angeles you know i remember driving around and like you're driving from a shitty day of work and you like <laughs> driving your car and you hit this pothole and you're just thinking like dang yeah. the government doesn't take care of anything here you know and san salvador all the roads are just so nice it's crazy yeah yeah, yeah. Sure. um so that and plus the fact that they're on a bitcoin standard is is just to me it would be a no-brainer if i was if i had had the ability to just live in el salvador if it just made sense i would do that yeah yeah um, i'm definitely going back very soon and i'm very interested in el salvador yeah i think well it but the it's i think it's still too early to say i still think there could be a political change but if this keeps going for like Two, two years more, four years more, if he's reelected and this keeps going, I think this just has set El Salvador, even though he dies or whatever happens, I think this sets El Salvador on a path for 50 years. And maybe it has already reached that point because I, at the end of the day, I think it's about the culture. And like, if, and like the way I look at El Salvador, the pe people's minds have changed, you know, and they're, they're uniting on a, on, and not, not from a like, like collectivist point of view, but mm -hmm. just like, Like like you said, like we live in the same place. We got to get along at some point. Like right. you cannot be fighting forever. And like yeah. I think El Salvador has has created that environment, right, where people are aligned uh, on a mission and they're motivated and they believe again. You know, because you live in a country where everybody kills each other. Of course, Very you lose obvious. You lose all hope. Yeah. But now they're believing again, and that that has no limit. It does. Yeah. This is why I say King Butelli, you know, just like <laughs> <laughs> screw democracy, like take over. Just like, you know, your great, great, great grandchildren are going to be, you know, anyways, this yeah, is the yeah. problem with democracy. It's like I every agree. four years, you don't know what's going to happen. I agree. <clears throat> so, um, yeah, uh, I guess the advantage of Mexico over El Salvador is that uh, it's close to the U.S., so it's generally yeah. been more stable. Uh, and plus, like everybody kind of knows the government is BS, and it's 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 just such a big country that uh, things can't change overnight. Right for least. the good and for the bad and the good. Yeah. Right, right. So there's I guess there's <laughs> some more stability there. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, El Salvador is kind of a bet. We we don't know if yeah. this is going to be sustained. And we've seen other countries. I think uh, was it Milton Friedman who Chile. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. Milton definitely. Friedman was talking about Chile and talking about yeah. how Chile had free market benefits. Yeah, but that was kind of a scam. Really? Yeah, because the Chicago is School of Economics is is a bit scammy in the sense that it it like uh, it just it's it's neoliberal like economy, right? Like they say 
like the Chicago pretend to be like laissez-faire economists, you know, like very, like almost anarcho-capitalist. Mm-hmm. And Friedman does that, but in the end, it's just neoliberal economics, very similar to it's 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 fiat-based too, you know. Mm-hmm. So it's not Austrian. Mm-hmm. It pretends to be as right-wing as Austrian, but it's actually the same thing as. As, uh, as as Keynesianism, it's like mm. it's like right wing Keynesianism. Like we're gonna. I didn't know Milton, <laughs> Milton Friedman was, was over there stamming people about Chile. Well, like like Chile's good. Like in a, in a sense, like Pinochet was uh, good for Chile because and and Friedman was like his advisor, economical advisor, and Pinochet was right wing dictator of Chile for like twenty years, from seventies to to nineties. Mm. It was good because it brought capitalism to Chile. Um, but like, like, okay, so maybe this is a question that I can ask you, like, like, is, is neoliberal capitalism that good? Like, I, I'm sure I I think it's better than communism, but in the end, you're just giving ownership to American companies. Yeah. And like, that's actually American companies. (laughs) That's great compared to foreigns buying up your country, you know, or foreigners buying up your country. But it's the same thing. Well, with, I, with, I guess yeah, it should be the same thing. But like, yeah, I mean, it's it's. Uh, I, I think it's the same thing in a way. So Chile is is a neoliberal economy, uh-huh. uh, like Mexico too, and in the end is 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 anti nationalist from their perspective. Exactly, and that's yeah. what and so like that's what Chile was. That's what the Chicago school economic is is you know imposing neoliberal economics on another country. But it fights the neo-nationalist elements of that country because it, it cannot succeed otherwise. Like, so I don't know. I think there's there's something there to to be discussed. You know about like uh, because in in the end, my idea is that a country has to protect its its borders. You know, I totally and, agree with that. Yeah, and 100%. it's not just about like immigrants crossing the border. It's also about economic control. Mm-hmm. Like, because Pinochet was a CIA-backed coup, you know? So, like, all the elements are there. Of course. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, man, I, I totally agree. Like, coming from somebody who's a hardcore anarcho-capitalist, like, hardcore, uh, yeah, I 100% agree that there is a necessity for borders, and I think the biggest necessity for that is maintaining cultural... Uh, fluidity, cultural, yeah. you know, maintaining the culture. Yeah, for sure. And and again, that's something we do not have in the United States. This whole idea of America being a melting pot and all that—I think that's bullshit. Sorry, but like, I agree. I do. It is. It's and and I I have you know, it's good to have other people come to America and have a better life and stuff like that. But that's like very few like your your family's from peru they went to canada you come from a productive family you're an intelligent dude you work hard like good okay great but the majority of immigrants in the united states are living off the government voting for corrupt politicians because they're gonna get more free money like it's it's a destructive thing for the country so yeah i totally agree um this whole libertarian kind of fantasy is, is just not... You know, I'm, I'm not a libertarian fantasy either. Yeah. Yeah, because of, of like, it's, you just got to look at reality. Like, yeah. Yeah, it is what it is. Okay, interesting. Interesting. I didn't think we were going to get so political, but yeah. It's <laughs> going to come up eventually, yeah. yeah. For sure, for sure. Yep. Cool, cool. Um, let's talk about uh, your perspective on tobacco. Oh, if you okay. want, if you want, I was wondering yeah. if that would come up. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm just interested into that, like, because I, I've 
I looked at some, you know, research that actually is 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 just very different from what people are used to hear mm -hmm. about. Like, right? So. Yeah. So first of all, I've been coughing a lot. I I I don't really <laughs> cough this bad. This is a bad time for me to talk about it. Huh? Um, all right. So I'll start off with this. We have been. If you smoke or consume tobacco, you've been antagonized your entire life to feel guilty about it. For sure. And this was not always the case. Like you look at. Uh, I'd love for whoever is watching this, look up, uh, what's the race called? Was it the Indy 500? Or you can look up on, on not on Doodle because they'll censor it. Okay. <laughs> but on Brave or whatever, uh, bicycle race 100 years ago, people smoking cigarettes. And it, it, I think it was like, I oh, it was the, it was, actually, it was the Tour de France. Okay. Okay. So there's a picture of the Tour de France in the early 1900s. Of, uh, and these guys are smoking cigarettes while they're racing. <laughs> okay, so my point is everybody used to smoke. For sure. Everybody used to smoke. It was just a thing. Like, yeah. Um, and, and we look back on that now like, oh, they were so stupid. They, they had no idea how bad tobacco was for you. Look at how, you know. But um, human beings have been consuming tobacco for thousands of years. And, of and uh, there's a lot of people that do consume tobacco and they're really old and uh and there are people who who get lung cancer who don't consume tobacco and a lot of variables but um i'll just say my opinion and i'll be like everyone's test dummy as somebody who enjoys tobacco and is anti-marijuana pro tobacco <laughs> yeah but um yeah so my opinion is that tobacco actually has a number of health benefits and the authoritarian governments do not want their societies consuming it for a variety of reasons. Excuse me. Um, so here's one. I have a friend who is a nutritionist. He's been okay. like legit. You know, he's got the degree, all that stuff. Legit guy. Yep. Nutritionist of 12 years. And he always sends me studies on tobacco. He sent me this one study that showed that um, the average uh, cigarette smoker has 13% higher levels of testosterone than the average non-smoker. <laughs> okay. So, so that alone makes sense, right? Like yeah, I, if, I saw that one. Is exactly. The testosterone. Right. So if you want to control a big population, you don't want males with high testosterone, obviously. The last thing you want. The last thing you want. <laughs> yeah. So, and then I, I guess another anecdotal uh, supporting argument of that is when I was in the Marine Corps, 70% of the Marine Corps used tobacco in some way. <laughs> okay. So you've got, you, like, you're, thinking, you're talking about a fighting force, dude. You're talking about people who are willing to kill people and be killed and like that's you know of course and uh for whatever reason tobacco is very um i don't know what the word would be very common in that yeah, yeah. kind of scene uh so there's that and then um i've also i've got a bunch of posts on twitter too like one one post that i had on twitter was uh a 30 minute documentary from 1976 called death in the west okay okay and death and it's hilarious you watch it now and it, it looks like propaganda okay at least in my opinion 
But uh, back then, it was some new thing. But 1976 documentary, Death in the West, and what they do is they go around all these cowboys, okay, because a big form of marketing was like showing a manly dude smoking a cigarette, yeah, yeah. you know. So they went all around all, all these cowboys who had allegedly been smoking their whole lives, and uh, and they had diseases like emphysema and, and uh, tuberculosis and mm-hmm. things like this. Um. And uh, and it really had no scientific backing whatsoever. <laughs> like they showed a total of seven doctors and seven different people, so it's like really not not a conclusive right. study or anything like that. It's propaganda. And um, and then they also interview a guy, I forget his name, but he was the vice president of Philip Morris at the time. Okay, and he's in Virginia at the time, where my family's from. Okay, in uh, Virginia they grow a lot of tobacco. Okay, so Philip Morris is the company that owns Marlboro, and they have headquarters in Virginia. Uh, and they show this government scientist uh, talking and interviewing the guy, and the the guy interviewing the B- VP of Philip Morris says, uh, "You know, are you concerned that the World Health Organization has found that tobacco is linked to you know X Y Z disease?" And what do you think about that? And you watch this guy's response, and he seems pretty based, <laughs> to right. be honest. Like, seem back then he seemed like a dude who was just questioning the science, <laughs> right? And um, and I, I can send you the link to okay, this too. I, I want to watch this. Listening. Yeah. yeah. Um. So there's that, uh, and then I, I guess another uh, another one I should mention is uh, I also found a study. Uh, showing that Japan and Greece have the highest smoking rates in the world and some of the lowest lung really? cancer rates in the world. Okay, I had no idea. Yeah, so highest smoking rates, some of the lowest lung cancer rates. What's up with that? <laughs> okay, all right. So what's up with that? Um, and I, I, th- I think a, a big, general, important point to emphasize with this is if tobacco really isn't as bad or maybe has health benefits uh and we've been lied to about this which you know right governments tend to lie uh and this started in the early 70s think about how hard think you know you go on google you look at covid19 vaccine side effects you're gonna find a bunch of bullshit (laughs) okay like you're not gonna find any truthful information it's all gonna be censored now imagine a big, massive medical scam in the early 70s before the internet was even a thing. Imagine how hard it is to find a truthful, unbiased study about tobacco on the internet now, 50 years later. Very difficult. So, And that's one thing I heard from, from my buddy as well, uh, who, who just autistically researches this stuff. Uh, you low on battery? No, it's, oh, it's all right, okay. yeah. Yeah, research is this stuff. is It's it's so hard for him to find unbiased studies on tobacco. Of course. Yeah, so um, maybe this is all a cope. Maybe I just love tobacco <laughs> so much and I'm trying to justify it. And if I die when I'm like 40 or whatever, like, okay, you know, but. Uh, well, I think it's an interesting perspective because just I've, I've literally never heard someone say that. Like, yeah. it's just so rare. It's literally like. Everyone against the one, you know, on this opinion. Yeah. Which during COVID, I was just interested in alternate opinions because, like, you, you just see, you just, it was that during COVID. Like, I was that guy, you know, that yeah. just talking to everyone and, like, 
Absolutely. I'm the one everyone says I'm crazy. Like, and I know I'm not. It's so, good to be I, that guy. <laughs> and I know I'm right. So it's it's an interesting perspective. Um, what I would say is uh, tobacco historically has, is, is, is part of the American history. It's part of the world's history. It's it's a production productive drug like yeah. coffee. You know, it's good for the workforce to, to 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 be productive. I think Tucker Carlson says this like like America was built on tobacco. Dude, and tobacco was <laughs> literally used as a form of currency during the Revolutionary War in America. Yeah, yeah yes, <laughs> yeah. And when jail too. And what? In prison too. And what? In prison. In it's, prison. Uh, yeah, it's no. I'm pretty sure, like. Many areas in America openly use tobacco. No, no, I'm saying today in, in prison. I see. In prison today, it's used as a form of currency. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, it's, it's the main form of currency. It's, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. It's a, it's a good perspective. Um, okay, so uh, maybe let's wrap up mm -hmm. and talk about what should people expect from you. So you're in San Miguel. You got a meetup in San Miguel, yep. Bitcoin Reserve. Well, what's next? Uh, what's next? Uh, well, I would like to start homesteading eventually. <laughs> okay. So, at some point in the future, uh, what's next? I you can find find me on Twitter. My handle is Andrew underscore J underscore Howard. And uh, yeah, if you want to buy Bitcoin with uh, my company, it's BitcoinReserve.com. Um, and really, my whole goal is just to live as much of a free life as possible and have a bunch of babies and you know not not use peasant money <laughs> exactly so so yeah that's what's awesome next. all right well everyone go follow andrew contact him if you want to buy bitcoin everywhere in the world except canada and the u.s yes and like like north korea yeah <laughs> nobody <laughs> listening is from north korea that's that i can that i'm sure of yep. okay well thank you andrew this was awesome um everyone also andrew organizes the san miguel meetup Uh, San Miguel de Allende meetup. So if you're ever in San Miguel de Allende and you're a Bitcoiner and you want to hang out with Bitcoiners, uh, just check out some. What's the handle on Twitter? Do you remember? Uh, it is Bitcoin SMA, as in San Miguel de Allende. Right. Awesome. Yeah. So follow that too to be aware of the next meetups. Cool. Thank you, Andrew. This was great. Yeah, Thank man. you, everyone, for listening. It's a good time. Thank you. Awesome. Goodbye, everyone. All right. Perfect. That's cool, man. Cool. I love this.